A United States commentator on Pacific issues wants to see greater oversight over U.S. federal programs in the region. Georgetown University School of Foreign Service affiliate Michael Walsh says there are cases of fraud, waste, abuse and mismanagement involving federally funded programs across the U.S. Pacific homeland. Mr. Walsh spoke with Don Wiseman, who began by asking about the level of corruption surrounding the federal funding. When we talk about fraud, waste, abuse and mismanagement, it can involve different types of funds. It can involve federal funds. It could involve state and local government funds. It could involve foreign developmental assistance funds and and other foreign government funding coming into the region. When we're talking about the state of Hawaii and we're talking about the U.S. Pacific territories, a lot of the funding, fraud, waste, abuse, mismanagement that we know about comes out of federal investigations. So those are run by attorney generals and by OIGs and others. And so what we've seen over the last couple of years is we've seen some some fairly aggressive prosecutions that have gone out and done some really in-depth case work, and they've identified a number of serious issues of corruption in the state of Hawaii and and in the territories. And they've involved things, including Chinese casinos. They've involved money being handed off to the majority leader of the state of Hawaii Senate. They've involved defense contractors. So we've seen quite a few incidents of fraud, waste, abuse, and mismanagement involving federal funds, and we've seen prosecutions. But I think the sense is it's, it's kind of only the tip of the iceberg because of the tyranny of distance and the fact that there isn't as much oversight exercised in the region as would be exercised if it was closer to the capital. You see as a solution the setting up of an inspector general for the Pacific. How would this work? Yeah, so I mean, right now, each department in the U.S. government, each each agency department has its own office of the inspector general. And one of the challenges that we have is that they're based in Washington, D.C., and it takes a long time and it takes a lot of effort to get out to the Pacific. And so when we have discussions about oversight, one of the discussions that constantly comes up, and it came up during the Compacts of Free Association negotiations as well, is how ex- expensive it is to be able to do oversight because of the distance involved and how it takes away from being able to exercise oversight elsewhere. So I don't know what the ratio would be, but for each investigation they do in the Pacific, it takes away more than one investigation elsewhere in the continental United States and and Alaska. And so that trade-off, the fact that it's more expensive to do oversight, is a barrier. And it's a barrier that people talk about quite widely. And so one solution, the solution I was proposing, was that we could have a unified Office of the Inspector General for the Pacific that would be responsible for any allegation of fraud, waste, abuse, and mismanagement involved involving any federal agency funds. So it could investigate, say, the Department of Defense allegations. It it could investigate the Department of Energy's allegations, Department of Health and Human Services, whatever it may be. But you'd have one group of investigators, and they could be supported by the other OIGs when it came to technical or, you know, very specific legalistic interpretations that needed to be done back in Washington. But the day-to-day work could be done in the region. And so you could set it up, whether it be in Guam or whether it be in Hawaii or wherever it would be, uh, you'd set it up in the region so that tyranny of distance will be removed, and then we could increase the amount of oversight that's being exercised. One of the key reasons for this renewed interest by the U.S. is because of China's growing interest in the Pacific. And you have the situation, at least in some places, I think, where small countries are able to play the big powers off against each other. So 
this far greater scrutiny of how is that going to play, do you think, under those circumstances? The problem is, is that any of these opportunities for systemic fraud, waste, abuse and mismanagement or just opportunistic versions of it, you know, they provide opportunities, they're, they're vulnerabilities that a country like the People's Republic of China can exploit. And they're seeking to exploit these things. You know, that's one of their goals. That's how they advance their own national security and foreign policy interests. And there's also non-governmental actors, you know, the casino operators and others who maybe not, are not always necessarily working on behalf of the government. They're just working to advance their own interests. And they see bribery and corruption as a way of doing that. And so I think that the, the reality is, is that if we allow these vulnerabilities to exist, we should expect that they're going to be exploited. And they're going to be exploited not just by domestic actors seeking to make some profit, but they're also going to be exploited by strategic competitors including major power competitors. And, you know, China is one of those. But you could imagine in this world of global competition that there'd be others as well. And I think that that's the problem. And so I think when we look at a, a world in which political warfare is being waged across the Pacific by malicious actors who are, you know, major power competitors of the United States, it behooves the United States to try to eliminate as many vulnerabilities as possible. And where you can't eliminate them, at least mitigate them. In this case, oversight is a form of mitigation. And so I always say that when you look at this issue, this isn't the issue that can be defeated with a constellation of U.S. military bases and intelligence sites because it's not a military posture problem or a security defense posture problem. It's a democracy problem. And so to fix that sort of problem, you, you have to have good governance, you have to have institutional safeguards, and you have to have political pluralism. And that requires, you know, really investing in your democracy and making sure that it's not open for exploitation. It's going to be a very long process to achieve all of that, isn't it? Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but I don't think it's an optional task. When you look across the United States Pacific homeland, we see people who are becoming disillusioned by their experiences, their day-to-day their -day experiences, dealing with not having basic government services delivered that meet their expectations. And whenever you have that sort of situation arise, you know, whether it's the power outages in Guam or it's the monorail not being delivered on time and on budget in Honolulu, or it's the Red Hill, the fuel leaks that happened, which have drawn international attention. Whatever the issue may be, it leads to a situation where people aren't just dissatisfied with what's being provided to them. In the world we're living in today, especially in a world of, of democracy, authoritarian competition, it leads some people to question whether or not democracy really works well. And that's not the type of world we want. I mean, it's very clear the Biden administration has, has been very vocal about the fact that we're in a competition of values. And one of those values is democracy. And so if we're going to win that competition, we need to make sure that democracy works well for everyone. And that means that basic government services are performed well for everyone.